and and we're live guys we're live happy monday morning monday's a good litmus test you know guy let's start with this monday's a good litmus test i read on twitter the way you feel sunday night about the next day is a good barometer for what you need to change in your life career wise so other than feeling like a little the beginnings of a quasi hangover yesterday sunday night i actually didn't feel bad like i like what i do um but that's that's a that is a good litmus test for do you guys agree with that how you feel sunday night if you dread the next forthcoming day you probably are in a new career but people do that all the time, man, I, and they just accept it. Beforehand, I call it the Sunday blues, man. It's every Sunday. It never fails. It's just like I don't want money to happen. I, I'm afraid to go to bed because I know what's going to happen. Since I resigned from my day job and I started doing my own thing, something really weird happened. Mondays turn into my Saturdays because I bust my butt so much on the weekend that by Monday I just want to rest while everyone else is checking up on their emails. Yeah, you're it's in the startup. Weird. You're in the startup phase too. You're actually perfect because we have three side owners here. Mm-hmm. So this is Dr. Fox from CRPN Network, Chris Sabra down here, Breakthrough Clinical Trials, CRMD, and me from Yuma Clinical Trials. Three different stages. So so Dr. Fox, maybe like let's start with that. Pre opening your own site, right? When you mm-hmm. were an employee, even yep. a high ranking employee. How did yep. you feel about like Sunday nights? dreaded it i call no it joke, Sunday no blues. Joke. no joke my wife they they knew it like the the last half of sunday so sunday afternoon going in the evening my wife already knew she knew that that's kind of like my time where i'm literally just getting into a bad mood i'm dreading the time that i'm gonna have <laughs> I'm, I'm dreading all those emails that i'm going to be getting on monday morning i'm dreading all the people who are going to be yelling at me and having no control over fixing it it was, uh, it was, it was like a ritual. It was a very toxic ritual. Wow. And, and how long did you like persist through this ritual? Three and a half years, hmm. three and a half years, every single Sunday, it was boom, boom, boom. Missed out on family time, missed out on all these events. Hey, do you want to do this on Sunday? Nope. Sorry. It's my Sunday blues ritual. I'm probably not going to be good to be around. So I don't really don't want to be around family. So it, what'd you do Sunday nights? Like watch Game of Thrones or? Up, got on my computer, hung out, just slept. There's a lot of sleeping involved. So I would just <laughs> take a nap. Like I just didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to experience the Sunday blues. So I just kind of checked out. Wow. What about you, Chris? Before you became a side owner. Well, you were working for me for a while, like way, 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 way back in the days. Yeah. I Did you ever have Sunday blues? Um, not, not the way that Doctor Fox is describing it. Um, I've had a couple, not, not many times since I've known you, Dan, but I've had a couple of jobs where I didn't care for them, and I, I wouldn't say I so much dread going to them, but I wasn't, wasn't looking forward to it. Um, I've never had what they call golden handcuffs in which, you know, they're paying me enough to, Uh to go when I despise it. Um, Mm. I've never been in that position. So once I would get to the point where I just couldn't take it anymore, I would just, I'd start looking for something else. Um, it sounds like Dr. Fox may have been in that scenario a little bit of golden handcuffs. Um, I call it toxic security, but I think it's the same idea. Okay, yeah. perfect. Perfect. This question from Instagram, I definitely have to keep – I'm not even going to list what gender they are. Keep them confidential as I can. Message me over the weekend. I've been with this company for 10 years. I'm thinking about leaving. It's a sponsor company. I want to start my own site. My problem is I have my base salary is 170K and with bonuses and such, I get 200K. I've been in my job for 10 years. Great company on the sponsor level, small sponsor. But I really want to do site ownership 
and I'm stuck. And I literally said, you have golden handcuffs. Mm -hmm. It would take like four to five years for you to replace your salary, I think, as a site owner. That's if you're successful. So that's not entirely true. Uh, I like we have that one client, Dan, that you're aware of that just sold their site and only did it for two and a half years and started off research naive and received millions. Um, She built a very successful site in a very short period of time. So, okay. I wouldn't say you absolutely will take you four to five years. I I would say on average, probably like three years, though. But so this person back. doesn't want to quit the first two years. That's the difference between like our typical clients, right? Sure. Oh, wow. They would have to hire somebody, obviously. Yeah. So it would take longer. And then training. I mean, guys, I'm doing it right now. Like, it's very difficult to not just train staff. I think that's the easy part. But getting everyone to work well together on the same page, like it's all the intangibles too that we don't put on a, you guys are budget guys, right? We don't have a line item for creating a culture where everyone gets along on our budget. Like that's overhead, right? But I mean, you can't just throw everything in overhead. Nope. So nope. It's, it's not, it's not easy to break even. Um, that's well, and you're going to have to make a choice. It's like, you making all that money, is that money making you happy? And if it's not, then maybe it's not the money you need. Maybe it, you need right. to follow something different. Right. And I, as a site owner, I don't know any different than – I was a coordinator for like six months be- before I became a site owner. It's very like unusual luck. Um, even when I was coordinator, I never really dreaded work. I mean, I was really young, so I would come in hungover a lot. Like I would rather have been sleeping. But on some of those days, but, you know, I never dreaded like going to work. But then when I became a site owner, most of the days, even now, I love it. But there are some days where like, hey, we have like an 8 a.m. screening. Make sure you're there because the coordinators are still new. I wouldn't say I dread that, but it's not like I look forward to it. Like, oh, yay, you know, I got to be there at 8. I'd rather show up at 10 when the screening's halfway done. (laughs) <laughs> and what you're describing, obviously what you're describing, you could not do as a site owner. But um, what you're describing, I think a lot of people take issue with in terms of just being employed. And that is, to no extent is their time their own. So uh, when you're self-employed, if you have to take a day off to take care of something, you can. Right? You can make your arrangements so where yeah. you take care of these tasks on another day. When you're, self- when you're employed by another, that's not possible. And if you're trying to do this every other week, because me personally, I take oftentimes a day off during the week, kind of, not the entire day, but half the day to take care of personal issues. To test drive Corvettes. That's what he does. Yeah, that too. But (laughs) like doctor's appointments and things are difficult to get to when you're employed. And um, unfortunately, I have a lot of doctor's appointments. Um, That's neither here nor there. But you know, I take care of that business on Saturday and Sunday then, mm-hmm. right? That I was unable to attend to on whatever day of the week that was. And so, and in that, let's play that out further. That's your family time, right? Like Saturday and Sunday. Right. Because if you're working all day Monday through Friday, you're basically sacrificing more of your family time to take care of like health things mm-hmm. and yeah. stuff that we don't consider. So there's a lot and this is at the site level guys like we're talking about employment at the site level at the CRO level where you're traveling CRA mm-hmm. it's gotta be compounded at least like two orders of magnitude more oh my gosh. Oh, you're working six days a week for sure as a CRA if, yeah. if you're if you're a uh, employed CRA not a contract CRA if you're a direct mm-hmm. CRA you're working six days a week easily. And that seventh day, you're just trying to recharge a little bit. There's no productivity that seventh day. I don't know how they do it. So this can go a lot of different topics, but let's get to some of these questions. How do I get into clinical research in the UK without experience? Abu, it's the same way as in the US. Find the small sites in your area. I know they are in the UK. Approach them. I have a link. Message me for the link. Me and Monica did a video on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prerana asks, "This is a this question. That's an interesting question. Yeah, yes. I had an idea about. So, 
how many years of experience is needed before opening a site for those listening? That's what the question is. I my answer would be uh, piranha. I wouldn't quantify that by years. I mean, you could be spending years doing something that wouldn't prepare you to open a site. You will know. You'll know when the time is right, when you encounter things at your employer or at a site, and you're like, okay, I know the answer to all of these things. And uh, when that happens, regardless of how many years it takes, you're going to know. Oh, zero. Yeah. There you go, David. Well, David, uh, like, <laughs> David as David said there, um, which I believe David did have zero experience uh, when he started his site, mm-hmm. I think <laughs> it's certainly doable uh, with the no experience, but it's beneficial if you have some. Some. But there is a point where it's diminishing rates of returns. So have you ever brought David on to interview him? He doesn't want to. I've asked him repeatedly. Okay. David, I'm calling you out, man. It's been <laughs> I mean, what, five years now. I love David's story. It's very well, I do too, but uh, and unfortunately, no one else going to hear it except me and you and Chris. Well, there you go. Sorry, David. Don't mean, don't mean to, to call you out, but you are a pretty awesome guy. Yeah, I, well, Come on, David. Let's do it. But here's the thing, guy. Okay, so if it's not experience, and I was saying there's a point where ideally it's coordinating experience. Because if you want to make this practical, you want to go from being a coordinating employee to a coordinating site owner. That's like the easiest transition, the most practical transition if you go from something really high up, like product manager at sponsor, which is what this person was messaging me about with the golden handcuffs, it's a lot harder to translate that skill set into let's get in there and start drawing blood, spinning tubes, our, shipping packages. Our most right? common client outside of physicians is CRAs, though, right? But that's very similar to being a coordinator. I would say it's similar enough that... But it's still one step further removed. It is, but there is no position closer to being a coordinator than CRA in terms of understanding what's, you know, what the functionality and operations are of research in terms right. of the insight level. Right. So if it's not years of experience, what it actually is it? Like, because like you said, Chris, one of our clients, zero experience, came in there within two years, sold her company for millions, right? Like, what was it about this person that made it work? Uh, It can't be just luck. uh, I think she got a a few things. You got to have like street smarts maybe or grit or maybe. So she's she's a nurse practitioner. Um, She knew a number of physicians that she could work with. And the indication was correct, right? The therapeutic yep. indication for getting studies. That there's a need. There was a need. So, um, I think those three items came together appropriately for her, and she did. She was able to run her site successfully or well enough so that she could get future studies from the same sponsors, and that's all it took. But she was the coordinator in this role, right? In this new role. You know, honestly, I don't know. Okay. I don't know if she was or not. Because if like, if you don't have CRC experience, you either got to learn it on the fly and be okay with making mistakes and correcting them ASAP mm-hmm. or hiring someone, which brings in a whole new set of challenges of mm-hmm. managing personalities and all that stuff, which is also part of the, the side owner game that no one talks about, yep. managing people. Or knowing so, when to expand or knowing what to invest in or making those tough business decisions. Uh, which leads us into tech. And we're going to get to the rest of the questions, guys. But tech for sites. Every vendor with a VC-backed uh, infrastructure has a dream. We will make life easier for sites or... Maybe they don't even think that way, which I think is a recipe for failure. Maybe they think we'll make life easier for sponsors, which has proven that doesn't work. You need site adoption for most of these things. So we will make life easier for sites. So there's two models. There's a free model, 
let's just try to get as many sites to use this. Like Versatrel, perfect, mm -hmm. perfect example. Storing all your links to all your vendors. Versatrel is awesome. Chris, you got you guys got to try Versatrel, man. Yep, I like yeah, Mike free. and the group. Mike and the crew, but then you got things like Creo as well, like paid pay e-source, but it makes everything easier. It has CTMS. You could build in your budgets, forecast, e-reg, e-source, e-signatures, oh. even e-consents, e-patient recruitment vendor portal, like just just remind your patients through text automatically about their appointments, all like everything you need. And then you have in between like med vector where it's like free for sites but they'll put like an iPad in front of different specialists office and you can get referrals that way and do virtual visits. But sites still don't adopt these things. Like I would say 15% of sites maybe are early adopters in these kind of things. Maybe then you get like regular sites like, like Chris, um, who's very practical and says, Hey, you know what? Like, why do you not try tech early, Chris? I guess that's the question for these things. Like, why not make, why not try to make the site more efficient? Is it because you think it's already pretty stable? Are you stable the in way terms of clients or? No, no, for like your site, for your site. Like, why, why not be an early adopter? Like, I understand money is the big cost, right? But when it's like something free, you're still usually like skeptical and like what what is well, it? I'm not the one using this tech, um, so it's not me that needs to buy in. Ah, who is it? CRC, well, right? Yeah, it's the staff. So I do run and buy them occasionally. Not always. Not always when we're approached with something, but mm -hmm. occasionally I do, and they tell me basically to go f myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. yep. That's see, vendors need to hear this stuff. So it's not just, it's not Chris you need to get after. It's the CRC. Mm -hmm. I remember when Versatrial first came to me and I was trying to take it to that employer. And you know, uh, wait, Dan knows that what I just said is probably pretty close to reality, right, Dan? I mean, I'm, I, I'm not exaggerating with that myself. I'm a co-owner on the site, so I know <laughs> who this person is. And yes, she would basically say that. Yeah. She's awesome, though. She's been with me since like 05. 05. And she never wants to come on the videos. So most of the time, CRCs who've been around for a while, they have been thrown so much tech by sponsors that if you try to show them something new that you're mm -hmm. trying to bring in, they just look at you and say, no, just I, I don't want to learn anything else. I don't want to try anything else. They're very yep. closed down to the, uh, you know, to trying to change their process. So it's Christopher it's Salty. Stephanie from Creo says, Christopher Salty, CRCs love Creo. <laughs> what say ye about this? Yeah, I mean, some do. Um, <laughs> some do, but ours doesn't. What I'm referencing, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. And that's, so there's a trade-off of hiring, you know, like, experienced versus research naive. Like, my CRCs at my site. So Chris and I own the same sites, but he manages one or two, 1.5, right? And I manage the other one, 1. 1.5. Uh, my my staff are like mostly all research naive. They're all going on almost like their first year. So they don't know life without these tech tools because I just integrate them all in. There, There's no options. Mm -hmm. uh, and Chris is different because there's an she's been doing this for like almost 20 years. And she's actually a site owner as well. So it's tough to convince your employees um, as, to try new things, even if they're free. As the expression goes, you can't teach old dogs new tricks. You think that's true, though? Well, it is in this case. <laughs> I mean, it depends on how you define teach. If you put them in a corner and you said, this is what's happening, they will learn. And we've done that before, too. Sure. I mean, you can force it on anybody, but you're going to get resistance and you mm -hmm. may even get a little bit of... Uh, backlash? <laughs> uh, backlash, animosity, whatever the case might be, right? They're just going to resent. Yeah. They'll resent you. 
Yeah. Do you think, Chris, this is a good one, or and Dr. Fox, one of the things I've noticed, like my mistakes from the past were I, I like to, my goal as an owner is to become hands-off as quickly as possible. And that's actually, there's like cons to doing that as well. Mm-hmm. And one of those things is exactly what you're discussing, like the resentment, like, um, Oh, well, it's easy for you to throw this tech down my throat. You don't do this stuff anymore. You don't have to do it. You're not in my shoes. Yeah, it's the, yeah. So now I make it a point, like, I go into all these vendors. Like, I use it just as much as they do. I answer queries, respond to leads from One End Health, get on Creo, like, all this stuff. I, I try to do, and I'm debating with myself how long I'll keep doing it, but this time around for the site. And I think... I'll always want to have like a little bit of um, hands-on, unlike my previous go-rounds. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about this? I, I, I'm running into that too. So this is a really perfect example of what happened this weekend. This weekend we had a big community festival for autism, and I'm the CEO of this community festival, right? So, uh, our organization is a small organization. So everyone is kind of like all hands on deck. Let's get this all done. So what happened was I was there pushing water bottles around, trying to set up tables, doing all this stuff, being on in the trenches, getting everything set up. And as a result, I didn't get to shake the hands or give the cards to the senators or the governor that was there or all of the other politicians or the people that I could have interacted with to try to help the mission grow. So I think that there, there is a pro to being on the the foregrounds at all times, because it's kind of like leading with, with uh, your activity and what you do. But at the same time, just like what you said, if you don't have your farming system and your coordination, if you don't have someone else doing that, you don't have the opportunity to focus on advancing the mission or growing your company. You have to be there in the trenches. So maybe yeah. you have to find a balance so that you can continue to uh, foster the culture and respect of the people that are at your organization and have the time to integrate. I'm not saying be a hands-off leader because that's, I think that's probably what people resent. They tell me what to do and they don't understand my problems. That's, right. that's kind of what they do. But at the same time, maybe it's just good to communicate with everyone you know, this is what I am doing for you. This is how I am doing this and have very good justification for the decisions made. I agree. I think there's a balance between working on the business and working in the business that owners need to figure out. Chris, Mm -hmm. we lost your image, man, but I turned it off because I had to eat something. Oh, how polite of you. Thank you. The officials watch me. (laughs) So, uh, Dr. Fox, tell me a little bit about this, your weekend. So, that was for the what was that for i'm the ceo of the champagne urbana autism network it's a nonprofit for autism it's pretty much just a huge support network for the autistic community in central illinois so there's so, uh, yeah let's be a fairly well established foundation to have the governor and senators there mm-hmm. this is their 12th annual visit so they've been doing this for a long time they've got a lot of good connections well that's pretty neat mm-hmm and I, I, after this weekend, I think that if we can get the grants that I'm hoping we're going to get, this may be the last time we'll, we're going to do that event where we're going to be the ones hauling the tables and setting things up. I think that we may try to hire someone to do it next time so we can focus more on the mission. Very nice. So. And this is a yearly event. Mm-hmm. Yep. In Illinois. Yep. Yep. So, Sham. So, does anyone know good old Champaign Urbana, Illini, the Big Ten? Uh, the big basketball team, the huge university, really, really good, a good hub for uh, the nation, really, the center of the nation. Hmm. And before we started this, you were talking about autism health becoming more prevalent. Was mm-hmm. there any discussion on why? Why Why is that? We're not sure. I, we don't know why. We just know that some people are just saying, well, we're just, our diagnostics are, are greater. So we're more sensitive to detecting it. Uh, but I mean, sense. like they're saying like in the, in the 1970s, autism prevalence was like one in 20,000. 
And I think just last year it was one in 58. So, yeah, that's the same argument some make for the cancer, you know, like, yeah, increasing cancer. It was always there. We just never saw it before. That kind of a thing. And do you Uh, believe that or no? Are you buying into that? Yes and no. I think that throughout the course of history, we've had people in academia, like a lot of the mathematicians and things like that, they were higher functioning autism. And there's uh, some people that say that the autism was still there, but people were just masking it because they weren't accepted in society. There's people who didn't get jobs because they had autism. So they tried to hire, they hide it or they hid it to protect themselves, to get that job so they could survive. So, so there's, yeah. Isn't autism oftentimes just a catch-all kind of diagnosis, though? It used to be. It, the, they call it a spectrum for a reason now. It used to be like the Asperger's and a lot of the other things that were in the neurological. Uh, they call it ASD now, so autism spectrum disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're defining it far better now, which is interesting if they're having a greater definition and they're saying that the prevalence is just a result of sensitivity for tests – those i mean that really doesn't make sense because if they're becoming more specific you'd think that that would counteract counteract the uh, sensitivity of the tests but no we're still increasing in prevalence across our community my i have good news during this live my pi texted me back that he does see some autistic patients so we can do that study good so i'll be learning i've never chris have we ever done an autism study i don't think so right no, we haven't. So this will be my first. I mean, look, <laughs> 18 years of this and you're always doing something new. That's one of the things about side ownership that, to me, never gets old. Like, there's always something new. There's always, agree. there's all, yeah, there's always, like, new new paths to go down. Chris, Stephanie's not giving up from Korea. Nope. She says, set up a meeting between me and the person you're speaking about. We will see what I can do. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll hit her up, Stephanie, and uh, I get the same app off. So that's what I'm talking about, Stephanie. Good though. job. <laughs> Stephanie's on it. All right, let's get to some of these questions, and maybe we can touch more on this tech stuff, and even like maybe just like a little teaser for the future of CRA and CRC. Yeah. Um, Piranha says I have transitioned from site coordinator to a CTA. I talked myself to getting a master's degree in clinical research management. It's overwhelming to think about where to get the PI and the sub-I and the whole setup. Chris, Dr. Fox, (laughs) overwhelming is an understatement. Yep, yep. So there's a lot. There's a lot behind that statement right there. You can, you can, we can learn it. We know what we can learn. You can get a master's degree. You can get the education, but you really have to, kind of keep your ear to the ground and know the situations and the opportunities when they arise, getting that perfect uh, situation, that perfect storm where you can get the PI, you can get the facilities, you can put everything together to start that site takes a long time. It takes a long time to get that kind of a network and that research support structure into place so you can be successful. And it takes teamwork. You have to find a team Uh, doing that alone uh, is, is very, very hard to do. So I would just add on to what Dr. Fox was saying there. Um, what you've described in your text there, uh, Piranha. Piranha. I don't think that's right. Piranha. Um, Piranha. Um, you're describing the easiest part of research, getting the PI, sub-I, and the site setup. That's the, there's, there's three steps to having a successful site. That's the first step. Next is getting a study in. Uh, third is getting patients for that study and executing the study correctly. Mm. And each of those steps in order get harder. So yeah, just describing the easiest step of the three. And Piranha, bad news. Okay. It never ends. Like the cycle, you got to continuously improve. And even more bad news, that last third step that Chris said, getting patients and then conducting the study properly is actually two steps because it's that conducting the study properly. Let me tell you, it's not easy. Every study is different. You have staff now. You can't possibly do it all yourself. 
it's a lot. So, you know, this is back to our opening discussion of what makes a good side owner. It's someone willing to constantly change. Like, you cannot settle. Just because you get a PI, you think you could relax? You can't. What happens when that PI says, I don't want to do this anymore? Which happens a lot, by the way. Or what happens if that PI retires or gets mm -hmm. sick? All right? Like, or gets audited and gets a warning letter. I mean, you're going to rely, you're like, your whole business on one PI? No. So you've got to constantly be on the hunt constantly adapt and that's just the pi part now what about the studies patients so this is one of the things that i find interesting with medvector i actually think chris you might like this too medvector is actually the way i see it it's not the way they intend it i mean it works like they want you to do virtual visits with specialists in your communities the way I see it is it's a Trojan horse for getting your future PIs like just started mm -hmm. with the research. PI grooming. Yep. PI grooming. It's a Trojan yep. horse. Like, hey, you know what? Like, let's put this iPad in your desk. You're, they're going to pay you, blah, blah, blah. Now, after like six months of doing this, they're going to be like, hey, well, how do I get on the other side of that iPad? What, mm -hmm. what do I got to do? Certainly, you're not doing this for free. Then we have that discussion as opposed to just cold pitching like them, you know, the idea. So I think Medvector, even though it's an unintended use, maybe they would just rather you have these iPads and never make them PIs. Right. I think mm. it's a Trojan horse. I think, you no, know, Ted, Ted and Scott have talked about that. That's that's one of the intentions, especially they're working with groups like BlackDoctors.org and a lot of the other groups to try to increase diversity in PIs. Yeah. Um, that was, that was part of their, their intentions and coming from someone like I've talked to so many doctors and they always call research just another expensive hobby. And it's <laughs> just a way, it's a way of showing those investigators that research doesn't have to be an, an expensive hobby. It can really be a part of your practice and you don't have to always be that ingrained PI to spend all of this money and time and effort to where you, you know, how many how many doctors have you approached where you talk to them about research and they say, I, I'm better off just doing my practice. I, I'm not interested. I mean, the majority of them. Yeah. Most of them are like, yeah, I don't want to be a PI. I probably, I did it as a resident in med school. I saw mm -hmm. how much work mm -hmm. it was. And there's a reason why I got out of academia. I've heard them all. And when you come up to them and you say, well, that's not what this is about. It's literally about allowing your patient access to trials, allowing you to be a healthcare. I'm going on a med vector soapbox. We're supposed to talk other things, but what I did want to ask Dan is now that we're talking about, I'm, I'm so glad that Piranha asked this question and we talked about the cycle of being a site owner, where in that cycle do you have time to add risk taking and innovation and things like that for your tech? Where, where would you add that into your cycle? You have to, you have to understand the value prop first, whether it's free or whether it's paid, mm -hmm. obviously if it's paid, you have to consider, like, can you actually afford it? And then the value prop. But, like, the value prop to me, like, Medvector's perfect example. I was just introduced to this technology last week. I've heard the name. I've heard good things from you and Brad. So, like, I had some, they had some brand equity with me already vis-a-vis -vis you guys. But it wasn't until I had this conversation with the founder for an hour that I started thinking, okay, this is actually, I could use this to improve my business. And like, if I can't see that, I'm not going to try to adopt because who needs another thing to learn how to use and have your staff start using. I mean, nobody needs that. We're here to make money. We're here to get more studies, get more patients. Like Bianca says, Chris, you got a new fan in Phoenix. Bianca Garcia says spot on hundred percent on the three steps in the continuous cycle. That's the way I see it, man. I don't I don't like to early adopt these things just for the sake of like sounding like it's cool, like oh, you know, amazing. No, I have to see the value like beforehand. So that's that is up to the vendors to show that value first. And a lot of these vendors, they don't have that pitch down right away. Like you know, they're they're not thinking like coordinators or like site owners. They're thinking like pharma. And you can't mm -hmm. sell to a site 
talking like pharma does. We don't have the same timelines. We're not shooting at the same baskets. Nothing is the same between a site and a sponsor. Well, even so, let, let's talk about MedVector, talk about CRP, and talk about some other site-facing innovation. Those DSCA, DSCA yeah, site network. Yeah. Those, yeah, those well-established sites, the ones that pretty much have a hold on the market, they're not going to, they're not going to innovate as fast as the smaller ones because they really, you know, they don't want to risk the reputation they've gotten. You know, they've, they've got the pipeline, they've got the trials. They're they're more willing to, but they really don't have as much of an incentive as the smaller sites. And they have more to lose. Yeah. That's that's the whole um, Innovator's Dilemma book, you know, just reimagined for sites. Like, you became big because you were willing to risk more. Now that you're big, you're not willing to risk more because you're trying to protect what you have to not lose it. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, a smaller company is willing to risk more to displace you. Yep. So there's a balance between, like, as a site owner, you got to have constantly have these things. Like, when I first heard of MedVector, I thought, okay, they're here to put sites out of business. But now I understand it's not that binary. Maybe there's still a threat there, but it's not really their goal. Let me, why not try to put myself out of business first by using some of these tools? So, and that's, you know, this is why I wanted to have this discussion with you and Chris. Chris is one of the most pragmatic people I know in this space. And then you as well. <laughs> and, and that's a good thing, too. Like, we always tell these tech vendors, is this better than Excel? Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. it sounds like a simple question. Like, that's ridiculous. Of course it is. Well, if you ask them how, MedVector is a bad example, but if you ask them how, they don't really have a good answer most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, look at, I mean, sorry, Stephanie, but any kind of a CTMS software, right? They're, they're innovative. They're doing a lot of things in the field. Uh, but even now, as we speak, they're still somewhat siloed. So your CTMS mm-hmm. software doesn't interchange. Well, they're, they're working on it with E-Reg and eSource and things like that. But let's talk about finances. This is another one that, that you can run into. Do mm. CTMS softwares integrate with QuickBooks? Mine Andy. don't. Creo doesn't as far as I'm aware of. A lot of them don't. They, mm-hmm. There's still an interchangeable effect with the technology and the needs of the site on a business level. Between, I mean, and, you know, and I, I get it, the CTMS software platforms, they try to do these cool things or even some of the online vendors, the portals that you have, uh, you have, oh, send your invoice through this, send your invoice through that. But then you get to a point where you have to manage four or five different systems to send all your invoices across all of your studies. So let's talk about And Chris does it all. Chris does it all with Excel. Yep. I use right? What yeah. do you use now? No, I mean, I still do it for yeah, Breakthrough and CRMD, but... Excel, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the re- so then there's the question: well, Why do why does everyone use Excel? And the answer is because everyone recognizes Excel mm. from the CROs. To, I mean, Excel is like the universal language right now. Well, also, it goes back to our original argument too, in terms of having to learn, you know, new technology. Most people know how to use Excel. Yep. So it's become a culture. It is ingrained in our society. And therefore, it's just like the default. Mm-hmm. But how did it become the default? We didn't always have Excel spreadsheets. We used to have paper or we used to do something else. How did Excel integrate itself into our society as the default? Bill Gates came through and said, hey, we're changing. Yeah, 93. 1993. Yep. Right? I, think, I think when the first graphical user interface, right, which was mm-hmm. um, three... I can't remember the name of it. It's before 95. What was the first one? 3.1 or something like Linux? that? Linux? No, no, no. Windows 3.1. Well, 3.4, 3.1. Yeah, 3.1, I think, was the first window user interface. Yep. And then, Graphical, right? Yep. Um, yep. And then it improved substantially with 95, and there was no stopping mm-hmm. Microsoft. Then, and I think at the same time, they came out with Office 95. 
But another thing that Bill Gates and Steve Jobs both did was they donated their computers to schools so that the future generations would have that as part of their education. So now you've got, yeah, you've got future adults who are now like, oh, yeah, I'm used to this and I'm willing to adopt it. So another thing they both did well, which the vendors today can learn from in our industry is they made the they made the user not have to think about what they're doing. Like, I mean. I just click on apps and things work. I don't know how to program anything. I don't know what it's doing. I barely know what a CPU is. But when I click this app, it just works. Like there's an interface. It's it's very like user-centric. And I think that's what a lot of these vendors are trying to do, make things site-centric. You don't need to know how it works and how it integrates with open API and all this stuff that they're trying to do. Uh, Bianca says, that's why us small owners bring so much value in the industry. The network sites have to get approvals from everyone and their mama yep. yes, <laughs> to Bianca. try new tech yes. and new things. How, how many times do you, oh yeah, I've got to run that by the board of directors. I've got to run that by these armies of people. That's why and it's kind of tricky in academia to get like innovation involved. But when it comes to the small site owners, he's like, hey, I'm going to talk to my partner and we'll let you know in a day that we can work on this. I, she, she's spot on. Love Bianca. Bianca, I got to interview. Like, just come on, message me. Let's do an interview. It's been a while. Chris, anything to say about what Bianca just said? No, I'm looking up Microsoft history. Oh, exactly. So I'm looking for what I'm talking about here. So there. So to to all the vendors out there. If you want to get your technology adopted, go talk to CRC Academy and see if they'd be willing to show it to the future generations of coordinators. And that way they would be more willing to accept it and utilize it on site, literally on site. Thank you for the plug. You're in the CRC Academy. What week are you guys on? Week nine, I think. Week nine already? Yeah. What do you think about it so far? Overall, it's doing really well. Good timing, perfect content. I think that there's going to be some spots in there for tech that, I mean, I think a lot of this was recorded in 2019 and even now yeah, it might need to be 2020, updated. 2020. Yeah. Talk to Monica. I ought to add Versatrial into there. We're trying to get Versatrial in to show the students. And we've been trying to put Viva in there too. Yeah. We're working on that. Yeah. Sounds like Stephanie might be working with us for Creo. See if Creo can. can Man. Imagine Chris, we can get all these vendors that we love into yeah. integrated into the crc academy that'd be awesome just just because i don't like being incorrect and giving people bad information but windows 3.1 came out in 92 <laughs> and microsoft office came out in 1990 you're gonna go to youtube jail for saying that name dan you know that right which one gates microsoft, or microsoft? yeah uh, they're gonna be like you just did some privacy policy thing i can't risk it till may 10th yeah um <laughs> That's why I didn't like where Chris was headed with the autism stuff, but I thank God we took a sharp left. Well, just to help with that, I'm, I you am fearful. I was going to say what. Don't don't, fear. don't say no more. No. Say no more. Full support. I am a full autism community member. I'm working really hard to make autism friendly clinical research. So don't don't put Dan in, in YouTube jail because we're working on this to try to support our autism community. I'm going to join you soon, man. My PI said yes to this. Good. That's how it happens. Once you find a PI, you just text them. Hey, I got a study. You want to do this? Yes. Okay, let's go. Boom. We're going to we have offer, SSV. We offer certifications to have autism-friendly environments where you have an understanding of the needs for the people with autism, for the, the community. We're going to have to consult with yeah. you on that. Yeah. Um, me you and the staff soon. yeah we're working on ways to do that so that'll be good okay do you want to touch on the future like yes i had a dream <laughs> I, I had a dream last night and i'm just sitting here thinking like, i'm waiting for it people are doing all these things with chat gpt i love they're, it they're Personally, asking chat it. gpt to write their contracts they're asking them to go on dates they're asking them for pickup lines i don't know if you saw that one but I wonder when they're going to come out and maybe they already have, but they're saying we're going for a chat G- chat GPT CRA. I'm waiting for it. And so then the question was, what do you think tech can do in a CRA role? And what do you think we just, we can't program certain things in a CRA to do that job. Currently, 
you still can't. The question is how quickly can it come? I think it's quicker than I ever thought with playing around with ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on my next book. And ChatGPT is an incredible research assistant. I mean, I would have had to pay like an army of an- of researchers to like come up with this data just so I could figure out what's relevant, what's not, what should go in the book, where, where should I dig deeper. ChatGPT's replaced that. It's just me and the AI doing it when I have time. It's I could already see just copy and paste the protocol into the interface. Eventually, it's going to be uploaded. But right now, it's like copy and paste the IE criteria and then ask it like it, it it's we're not far from where it can do that right if we're talking source data verification it could probably already do it it's just the interfaces like we discussed but if we're talking the more valuable source data review which is really what the series get paid for I used to want it like even a year ago to say, man, we're far away from that. Playing around with this thing, I'm starting to think we're not that far away from that. That was my thought. You could easily do some kind of a review of EDC over protocol, over even schedule. And this (laughs) CRA GPT could identify Windows deviations inclusion exclusions included with the medical records so i I think on an information comparison level it's very possible this this could be a a tool for cras to be more efficient to do what they're doing to have because because every cra we talk to they're slammed they're stressed they're we talk about the the mondays the sunday blues they're going through that right now because there's so much pressure on them is it possible that this kind of technology could alleviate that pressure and allow them to provide quality services. And even sites, man. Yeah. So I've, here's a practical thing I've used chat GPT for last week. And I I've been using it for this purpose for the last month. Whenever I see, I come across, I have one study where there's like 55 exclusion criteria. It's insane, insane study. I'm asking myself for rationale. In the past, I would have emailed the medical monitor. Who knows what kind of answer they would have given me. I could ask the PI. Usually the PIs don't know these things. They're practical community clinicians. They're not scientists, really. So I've been asking ChatGPT, hey, this is the investigational product. It's a known compound. So ChatGPT has, has info on it. What's the ra- I ask it, what's the potential rationale for this mm-hmm. exclusion criteria? And it it knows, man. Mm-hmm. And it and then I could dig deeper. Well, tell me why. And then it gets to like we don't know yet. We're still studying that and it's like now I see, okay, this is the reason why we do the study. But it, it helps me explain the rationale of like when patients mm-hmm. ask, Well, why do I have to wash off of this? This has nothing to do with this indication. I just let them know, hey, this is why. This is one of the things they're thinking. And I'm getting that from these these language models. Like, it's mm-hmm. incredible. I'm already using it on an almost daily basis. Did you see that demonstration where you tell chat GPT to make you a PowerPoint slide presentation about something? No. So but <laughs> that's it, insane. Well, no, you're like, so I think the comparison I saw was write me a PowerPoint presentation on the colonization of Mars. And it gave you like seven different options, all of the different ways. And you say, you know, I like this, but make it a table or make this a bulleted list. Boom. So could imagine doing that for SIVs. Here's the protocol. Write, write a presentation. Wow. I mean, yeah, I could totally see that getting done. Uh, so and I, I think you're still going to have to have someone driving chat GPT. So you're still going to have the CRAs. They're still going to need to be there providing guidance and oversight but i wonder how much of this could be utilized as a tool to try to help our industry be more efficient i think it's going to displace the bottom 20 percent of the underperformers like the people slacking hopefully it eliminates the fake cra's Mm -hmm. it might make the problem worse though because if like a fake cra with chat gpt is actually more dangerous 
Yeah, than, yeah, because now they, they kind of uh, accredited themselves with with the information, the data. So that and was, the, I haven't even messed with the plugins. Like they release plugins, yeah. I've just been using the chat interface and copy and paste. Mm-hmm. I haven't messed around with like integrating with other apps. That's next. Yep. I mean, this is going to be incredible stuff, guys. And I think sites can use it to their advantage. I've been using it to my advantage to help explain patients. You know, when you have a new study, you're always looking for like, what's the best selling point? And the sponsor never tells you. They're like, oh, well, this is the 40 page ICF. Well, then you're like, okay, but what's like the actual pitch? Uh, Your PI should know. Okay, well, he doesn't. So thanks. So (laughs) then I just put it in. Like I I go on a deep dive on the IP. Like deep dive, like 30 to 60 minutes of. And then I I figure out I can come up with like a good pitch to the patient. Like pros, Mm -hmm. cons. Yeah. That's how I've been using it. Straight up recruitment. Yep. So, Chris, you've been playing with it? ChatGPT? No, not really. <laughs> Chris, it's coming, man. It's already here. Yeah, it was. I watched a bunch of different YouTube videos on the dangers <laughs> of ChatGPT. Uh, it's definitely a lot of dangers. but Oh, yeah. There, there's I some think underlying it, risk, but you just have to utilize it in certain ways. I was the, po- where, where the politics somebody- are bad. Not just the politics, but even the justice system. Oh, yeah. I was watching where somebody faked a video and was able to sue somebody else over it. The deep fakes are going to be insane. But yeah. I like to focus on, like, the positive. Like, as a site owner, like, how can I make this practical? Like, even, like, making a recruitment flyer. It's I've had to do that. Like, the wording, right? Not the design. Mm-hmm. But there's ways to do the design, too. So it's very interesting, like... I think the CRA role is going to change. I think there's going to be a new category of skill called AI prompts. Like, how good are you at prompting the AI? How efficient are you at extracting info from the AI for practical purposes? I think that's that's something next. Um, maybe last question before you guys good with that, or uh, then mm-hmm. we'll have our closing thoughts. Um, Lang. Can someone please talk about how to land a clinical research internship or entry-level job? It's hard out here without any experience. All I have is a medical site. Listen to this, the way this is phrased. I know you like linguistics a lot, Dr. Mm-hmm. Fox. All I have? All reducing, I have. Reducing experience down to, it's like, no, no, there's no such thing as all. The fact that you got a medical science degree is a huge accomplishment, and I'm very proud of you for going that route. And never say that that's not enough. Now you just have to combine that with certain things. I mean, we, Dan and I, we had a really cool conversation on a podcast about this. That's still kind of fresh in my mind. But Dan, what do you have to say about that? You had really good comments. Yes, I can tell. I do this like 20 times a day. If I miss you, I'm sorry. Just keep messaging me. You, I can tell now within just a, a sentence like this why you're having problems right no employer wants to be like your rescuer they they want you to provide value they don't want to save you in your career journey like when i read this all i have is a medical science degree but even that is not enough let me just be honest with you right now i'm ogling when I see that as a side owner, I think this person, the first like, the first challenge that they're going to get at the site, they're going to have this kind of defeatist attitude as well. Mm-hmm. I don't need that. You need to flip that framework in your head. You have a medical science degree, <laughs> like Dr. Fox just said. It's a matter of how you apply it. Like, Do you know how many non-medical science degrees Candidates get hired by sites on a daily basis and they wish they had one. Oftentimes it's just that can do attitude. And from your comment, not to, I mean, this is like just generic for a lot of them that I get. Your comment doesn't say can do. It literally says I can't actually. Yep. I, and, and I'll just 
it for a complete assessment of what I saw there, it looks like I think Dan was saying maybe defeatist. It sounds like you've worked really hard and you're frustrated that you don't have a return on your investment yet. And therefore there you're becoming kind of flustered. You don't understand that, you know, you did X, Y, Z, you did everything you were supposed to do and it's not coming true. Uh, I would encourage you to just be confident, display a level of confidence. Like I am here to help you. I have this. Uh, it's okay to be proud of what you've done and it's okay it's okay to shed a light on what you have accomplished and what you can do for your employer. Uh, that's, that's just an initial assessment just from that one statement that you wrote. Yeah. It's a matter of just taking your skills and presenting it to the site owner in a much better way. Like that when I'm looking at, at you, when they're looking at you, they're like, okay, how can this person come in tomorrow and contribute right away? And the more of a can't-do attitude you project, the less they think you can do for them in the short term. And nobody wants like a long-term project. Even the CROs don't want a long-term project. They want people to come in, a little hand-holding, but then you're ready to go. And so what, what say you, Chris, about this? I know you were interacting with ChatGPT just now, but what, what do you <laughs> Sorry, think about this? <laughs> Did you hear... I'm no. Lang's question. No, I was not following the Okay, you're a site owner. You read this. What do you think? Potential CRC. Oh, um, yeah, it's pretty simple. I mean, if somebody wants to offer free labor, and I'm more than happy to give them an opportunity. Uh, what about their last sentence, though? A crying face, and all I have is a medical science degree, but even that is not enough. Well, it just don't seem too... Uh, assured of themselves right i was lacking, i was thinking the word confidence you need right, some confidence. Lacking, i was just going to say yeah. lacking a little confidence um I, you know um that wouldn't change if i were the site owner that she approached that wouldn't change my opinion in any way other than this person doesn't seem too assured of themselves or confident in themselves um but happy to give anybody an opportunity if they want to offer free labor yeah Amoga Lang, send me your resume. I'll see if there's some sites in your area that I could connect you with. But you got to reframe it. Yeah. I would take your comment, okay? Copy and paste it in the chat GPT and say, make this comment. Uh, write, write this comment in such a way that someone would want to hire me. <laughs> mm -hmm. You'd be amazed I, if I, I, I can't copy and paste this. It's an image. Otherwise, well, I would. Right it doesn't now. really need to be changed much. Just I have, just remove that all, right? I have and is, I have a medical science degree and I would like to offer my services to you. If yeah. You're speaking to and the even site take director, it, site owner. Even take it a step further. I can make recruitment flyers based on your informed consent that I can distribute to physician offices in the area. I mean, if you have yeah. medical science degree, you know the pros and cons of these drugs and if not you have chat gpt and google to kind of help you i mean it's real simple you, you know you go up to somebody i want to gain a working knowledge of operations at site level and research i have a medical license so i believe i could be uh, well suited for anything you would like me to work on at your site again just want to learn the work the inner workings of this um, yes now did you see what chris just put there that is a perfect recipe this is what I have. This is what I can do for you. This is what I have. This is what I can do for you. This is the benefit you will gain. Do yes. that. Yes. That's the opposite of what Amogalang said. I would add one other thing. I'm happy to work for you for free for a while. If you're pleased with my service, I would expect to be hired at some point, but we can have a conversation about that later. That confidence. Chris, people don't know this story. The first day I met you mm -hmm. because of this guy named Don, who was my site director on my other site. Mm -hmm. Chris Chris came in. We had a SSV. Dan still teases me about this. Yeah, we, we had this. Check this out, Dr. Fox. So we had the site selection visit. And Don, who was my site director for my San Bernardino office, he said, hey, I got this guy that I know from another industry. And he's I think he's got what it takes. He's a go-getter. And I think he can be a good CRC. 
I was like, all right, man. I mean, you're the site director. If you think so, I trust you. Bring him to the SSV Monday, and I'll talk to him after. Mm -hmm. And so we did the SSV. It went well, I think. And then... Yeah, it went well. Got the study. We got the study. And then Chris, at the end, I was leaving. I was like, all right, cool. I didn't even really talk to him, I don't think. Didn't know crap about research. This was my first exposure to research. Chris didn't know anything, but did I even talk to you? Like, or I just wanted to leave, right? No, I was like, no, we said hi to one another, and that was about it. Yeah, so like I didn't I get to know him or anything, but I was leaving, going back to the car. Chris ran out there and probably I mean he would have probably been hired anyways, but he didn't know that. So <laughs> he came out there and he said, Hey, you know what? Like I don't remember the exact thing he said, but I just want to let you know when I put my mind to something, I never fail at it. And I was like, That's who awesome. is this guy? That's bold, man. And now and I, got Corvettes. I think that's true of anybody. I honestly believe that to be true of anybody. So when I, got, I was like, all right, okay, thanks, man. We'll see what we can do. And when I got in the car, I was just kept thinking to myself, either this guy's like so full of crap. Or he means it. And I was like asking Don, and he's like, "Yeah, no, he's that's the way he is." So I bring up that story because it's a mug along. It's like a night and day difference. Like you know, confidence yeah. is key. If, I mean, the one thing I could say is just don't think of yourself as a victim ever. Ah, so victimization yeah, is. Today it's a big trap. And okay, when I read somebody. that, it's I've done all of this and there's nothing I can do. I I've lost, you know, literally loss of control, loss of what you can do to help the situation. And just never, ever think of yourself as a victim. You're taking this path for a reason and everything will work out, but you cannot give up. You absolutely right. cannot give up. You have to be persistent. And with that being said, any closing remarks? We've gone over an hour when I wanted to do 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, so much for 30 minutes. So but with Dan you guys, is, it's impossible. With me. <laughs> Dan was teasing me, as he usually does with that statement. But I honestly believe that's true of all humans. So long as you don't have a mental incapacity of some sort, uh, mental retardation or mental illness, I think if you apply yourself to, to something 100% effort, give it your best effort, you will succeed. I believe that's well, humans yes but then you throw in things like entitlement which is not um again that's not applying yourself if that's in the back of your mind mm. i'm entitled to this no right but the human psyche is, the human psyche is more complex it's not binary like that well i'm just saying if you apply yourself 100 you'll succeed you yes i think most people I don't know. Maybe that's a good cliffhanger. Let us know in the comments, guys, what you think. Okay, I'm all along. Let's end this on a positive note. Let's read this. Chris is covered, completely smothered by your comment. Thank you for the advice. I'm sorry if I sound negative. I just have been frustrated with sending job applications for over a year, but I'm keeping the faith. Don't send job applications. Go in person. Don't <laughs> send job applications. Go in person. Listen to Dr. Fox podcast where I'm on saying this exact same thing. I do online free courses too, which I believe will help me get research knowledge. I volunteer at a local clinic. Yep. I still send job posts even Just when I am just it. frustrated because like you guys said, no one owes me a job and I understand that I need to work for it, but it gets depressing sometimes. Most research sites and then I lost the rest of it. But I message me. I have a video I did with Monica on like an hour on just how practical things you can do and now you can integrate chat GPT into it. That might be my next one. Come on, let's get this. Enough of this. A year clicking links. Go in person to clinics in your area. It would have yeah. been much more better ROI. And you might fail a time or two, but eventually you'll succeed. You'll fail nine out of ten times. Who cares? But you'll eventually succeed. Dan, Who did you get cares? to read my book yet? No, man, but I need to. It's on my desk. Yeah, that's what thing? I was just yeah, I was gonna oh, say Aspartame's bad. This this yep. one. Uh from breakthrough to biotech. Where is it? Dark Remedy. Things to get me canceled. And then this one. There it is. Okay. Yep. So live a lot of like a career saying. cowboy. How to successfully navigate the great professional frontier in the wild. It is the wild. Well, Dr. Fox wild, is wild your wild field guide. 
Dr. Yeah. Fox is your field guide. He's got your binoculars. He said, look at that bird right there. Look at that red one. <laughs> look at that blue one. Yep. You know, and that one's going into yeah. that tree. That one's going into a bush. You know, <laughs> where do you fit into this? This is the trail you take. <laughs> Follow the pathfinders. Yeah. And I forgot what I was going to say, but I have good ideas for the next video. Well, why right. are we going to say I got to go? No I got to go, too. So we all got to go. But thank Same. you, guys. Look, Dr. Fox, follow him. Right. LinkedIn underneath that podcast. I'm along. Message me. I'll send you that podcast link and I'll send you the video I did with Monica. You need to subscribe to both. Chris, you can't subscribe to him even if you wanted to. So I don't know what you're going to do. You just get him when you get him. That's it. Right. How many quantities is good? He's ah, the official. Like He's official. <laughs> Thank you guys both. Have a good Monday. Uh, like, subscribe, comment, share. All right. Good week, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. You don't have to be on.